Hey everybody, I'm Jeremy. And I'm Jonathan. And we are the Evangelicals. Today we're having a just like a kind of candid what's on your mind conversation. It's been a long time since Jeremy and I have gotten together. Um, just the My COVID. kids are back in school now, so hopefully we can, we can Get together more regularly. make it a little more consistent. Um, the COVID situation has kind of just made a lot, things a lot more um, complicated and difficult, uh, different mandates and regulations. And we're trying to be good and diligent uh, to our families and our um, church communities that really kind of take our priority, our pastoral priority. So it's not that you people listening to the podcast don't take the priority, but the fact of the matter is you're also not paying us. So right. So I mean, if there's any donor out there, but we would, we would, yeah, yeah. If you want us to make this more of a priority, you know, you could make it more of a priority. You know, the listener, you know, which would be fine with us. We we totally <laughs> yeah. totally accept that. You know, uh, so we're going to talk about the COVID situation in the church. Is that a fair description of kind of where we're going to go today? Where we think we're going to go today? Absolutely. I think there's just so many questions about. Should we be meeting? What does that look like? Is it, what is, but I think, you know, our concerns are not just practically, although that's a big piece of it, but I think theologically and philosophically, what does it mean and what questions should we have and what should we be worried about and what does that look like? And even biblically, what maybe, so just not just should we be getting together and and all, but what, what maybe long-term ramifications is this going to have for the church how do we look at church do we need to look at church differently what what is so maybe those conversations um jerry are you confident that you've done are doing everything perfectly and are uh um how should i say have had this whole thing figured out yeah of course i mean (laughs) a small town pastor in paul didn't even get it all figured no absolutely well, I so don't know. It's hard to I know. Guess, I guess that's the thing. I want to. How just, do you I wanna, know? That's the thing. I think both of us are beginning this conversation. You should just know, if you're, we are, we're pretty candid today about the fact that we don't know what we don't know. That and that is kind of the elephant in the room in the in every single coronavirus COVID nineteen conversation, is that people don't know what they don't know, and it's like we're trying to justify every decision that we're making on like empirical science when the empirical science isn't even empirical. <laughs> and I think you make decisions, you know, you say perfectly, like for some people it's been awesome for others not. And to me, like if you did it perfectly, everybody would be happy. And I don't know that you ever, ever accomplish that no matter what's going on. And so I think that the best you can do practically is with the information you have and trying to take your context in, into consideration and then who makes up your congregation, local congregation. I think you just have to make the decisions that that best fit and 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 doing your best to, to take it all into consideration. And so I don't know that anybody can fault anybody or or point fingers. I think everybody just has to once again, take in all the information and do what they think is best for their local context. Yeah. Um, let's start, let's start with a scenario that I experienced, um, in our own, uh, church denomination. So in the summer is a time that in the church of the Nazarene, the general superintendents, which are the kind of the highest order of the, the, uh, organizationally of the church, they have the highest seat of authority. There's six of them in our denomination internationally. And they, they kind of make their rounds for what are called district assemblies, these assemblies of 
uh, roughly, depending on the district, like 50 to 100 churches, and we are a part of the Northwest Ohio District. And so the general superintendent comes, and really the primary function of the districts of the general superintendent's coming are to t carry on business during what this meeting called the assembly, but also to ordain new pastors. And ordination is not just something that is significant to the Church of the Nazarene. Historically, it's it's all denominations have some form of ordination that are Christian denominations, which is the affirmation of the community of the people of God saying this person is set apart, gifted, and graced for ministry. And then what happens in ordination is those who have been ordained, they gather and they lay their hands on the person that's being ordained. Um, and there's a prayer of uh, blessing and anointing for that person who will then go and be ordained. I was saying this to Jeremy earlier. In my opinion, ordination is like for Nazarenes, this is my opinion, kind of the the height of mystical ceremony that Catholics would consider the Eucharist. I mean, in a very serious way, I understand in ordination Christ to be present, like the those that have been ordained to be present. And really the historical church is represented in all the hands that are laying on. Because if you think about it, this is crazy. Those first people that were ordained, those first disciples that Jesus laid his hands on, that he blessed, they then laid their hands on those who came after them, who laid their hands on those who came after them. So like, if you go back through the church, you essentially have like this laying on of hands, you know, in, in the historical sense of the early church. And it's kind of this incredible mystery yeah it's not a sacrament for us but it is very sacramental in nature that's good if you have ever you know when i was ordained and you know it's somebody explained it to me before it happened like it, it's almost as intimate as your wedding day it's a different a different feeling obviously and a different emotion but that has that intimacy of something big is happening here. That's not just what's happening in the room, but it's got bigger ramifications for, it reminds me of the photo and it's kind of a cheesy photo, but um, there's a pastor who's in the pulpit preaching. And then it kind of has like star Wars figures of ghosts of like Moses and Elijah, like all behind him. And it's kind of a cool image that what that guy is doing in the pulpit is carrying on the tradition from through the Bible, through the whole thing. Like I said, the picture photo looks kind of um, cheesy, kind of Star Wars, like, you know, Obi-Wan yeah. Kenobi coming behind and talking to Luke Skywalker or whatever. But it, 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 it's also kind of humbling when you think about when you get up and proclaim the word, you're carrying on a tradition, like you said, that, that dates way back of prophets who have spoken on God's behalf since the beginning of time, essentially on some level. And Paul says this, he gives us this idea of a great cloud of witnesses. Yeah, absolutely. That really, we're not, we're not just a part of the church of today, but we stand in the tradition of the church of the past. Yeah. So we say all of that to say, but we're in COVID-19. This historical moment that for those who are alive, this is incredibly unique. I don't know anyone who was alive during the Spanish flu outbreak in the early 20th century, you know? And so this is really, this is really historically, there's been nothing like this that those who are alive have seen. So we all gather together for our, for our assembly. And as we're getting there prepared for the service, the, the general superintendent, the one in charge of the meeting said, now because of COVID-19, we are not going to lay hands on those who are being ordained tonight. I'm just going to do it. 
you know. Um, which this just this just kind of put a check in my spirit. Like it was just kind of this weird, like, oh, that's kind of strange, you know. Um, and I, th I think that that statement made me start asking a particular question. What in the church should we, like, must we still do regardless of COVID-19? And what are the appropriate things to say because COVID-19, we can't do this? Because of my own personal experience of ordination and how powerful the weight of those 100 men and women were on my shoulders and the prayer the prayer of um, a, a pastor that had been a, a significant mentor in my own life, um, knowing the sense of the, also the kind of the weight of the responsibility of the, the actual gathering of the community and feeling the just anointing of that moment. For me, I, I felt like we did something wrong. I, I felt like we should not have ordained people this year if because of COVID, we couldn't lay hands on people in the sense that kind of the charge of the church has been I think we ought to have delayed it a year I don't I don't think that that would have probably been the right thing um uh, and it honestly in light of those people who were getting ordained I know in name it wouldn't have changed a whole lot of what they would have been able to do you know what I'm saying like it, it's a big moment in people's lives but they still could have carried on their ministry for another year and gotten ordained the next year so it's not like it's not like that moment was going to be a make huge, or break. a make or break moment for them. If that's makes no, sense. That's, that's right. That's so right. another reason to say, Hey, let's just potentially do it. And our district is not, um, I, one thing that the general said at our district assembly is this was the first time she's been in a worship service for, Oh, since I think the beginning of COVID, Yeah. which means, and I, I know we are not the first assembly that she has overseen during that time. So what was so it wasn't like our situation was unique. In fact, our situation was probably way different in the fact that we actually had people people present. in present in the space, yeah, uh, and and not people just on Zoom with just the ordinance there. You know, I don't know how the other districts did it, I but either. I but I remember her saying that. Oh man, this is the first time I've been kind of in corporate worship. in a corporate worship since the beginning of COVID. Yeah. So I, I don't know. I thought that was kind of intriguing just to prove your point, maybe to take it to that night, you know? And so I'm, I'm not, the point of the conversation is not just to throw like the administration of the church of the Nazarene Absolutely. under the bus. Um, these are not my decisions to make. And, you know, so I can sit in the cheap seats and, you know, throw rocks. I and guess. my guess is that they've had this, this conversation way before. I certainly would hope so. Absolutely. I mean, I, I certainly would hope so. There were some things that happened that I was thinking to myself, like theologically, like, I don't, I don't know how much thought was put into this, unfortunately. Sure. Okay. Um, but, um, yeah, I, the, but the point of the conversation really for us is it's, it's kind of generating what, what is it that the church must do in COVID and what can the church afford to cease doing in COVID? Like, like what, what is the role of the church in an international pandemic? Is there a role of the church? Um, one of the things that I think that this online movement towards church has done is that we have conditioned our people to believe that they do not need to gather in order to um, accomplish church. I was having a conversation with Constance Cherry, who is um, one of the leading minds of just of worship. She wrote the book, The Worship Architect. If you're interested, you should check it out. She's an amazing author. She is now a professor emeritus um, 
of theology and worship at Indiana Wesleyan University. She consults with people internationally. Uh, we were talking last month just about the situation of worship, and what she said is she said, you know, in the 20th century, worship became utilitarian. The megachurch has kind of programmed us to ask the question, what are you getting out of worship? And she said, this is a major concern for me because worship is not about utility. Worship is about a unique people meeting in a unique place in a unique moment with Christ in a unique way. It's about a meeting, a coming together, a fellowship with Jesus that you can't measure with utility. And the problem is in that is the meeting with Jesus, that deep, intimate meeting with Jesus has not been our emphasis. Our emphasis has been what are we getting out of it? So the things we get out of it, maybe evangelism, maybe some form of the preached word, maybe some sort of form of church business, mm. which she would say, you know, all of these can be done, you know, via Zoom. Right. What can't be done is kind of that unique um, physical manifestation in a particular place. Um that the church has historically lifted up as imperative for survival. And, you know, this is the place that we find ourselves in. She also said, she also said, you know, these people who are saying, um, who are fighting for their rights, you know, and saying that they need to need to, need to meet, you know, she said, you know, the church in um, all over the world in countries where they've been persecuted have not been able to meet regularly with their coffee and donuts in the way that we're fighting to meet in America. And so this is kind of some, some non, there's a lot of nonsense going on that she would say, you know, of like unnecessary whining. She and she said, you know, it's, it's probably good that the church learns to fast. Huh. It's probably good that we learn to have learned to fast from particular things so that the bring coming together again might be all the more sweet, but we, but we ought not to be neglecting the imperative things and i don't know that people are asking the question you know what are theologically what are the imperative things yeah this has been something that's been mulling in my head through this whole thing because i think what we've had to ask the question that i've had to ask and maybe once again we need to ask holistically is what what defines the church and i think and that's a question a bunch of people are asking right now. That's, yeah. That is the question right now. Because I think what, unfortunately, the way we've defined it is a Sunday morning for an hour or hour and a half, whatever. And when you take that away, to me, the question I've had to ask is, is there still a church? Is church about a certain time and on a certain day? Or is church about a movement of people in the community and in the world trying to make the world a different place? And so I think what this has been the hardest for and I, I, I don't know, I could be speaking, I don't, I'm not in a big church, but I think for the bigger churches, it's been more difficult to navigate this because it seems like the move is you got to get to smaller groups. Through this whole thing, you've been able to have groups of 10 or smaller get together. But how do you do that with a church of 2000 if you don't already have that infrastructure in place? That's right. And so you're, you're dependent upon that weekly worship gathering of people coming together the whole time, it's there's, they've never said we couldn't do church. They just said we couldn't have gatherings of this larger group or more. And so the emphasis to me, so like, you know, the John MacArthur won this lawsuit in California that he could have his church service. And, 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 and to me, I saw one tweet or one thing saying what he was really trying to do is saying, we want you to allow us to do church the way that we were always doing church. And to me, the bigger question is, how do we be the church even in the midst of a pandemic. And if, if our idea and definition of what church is is just a weekly gathering rather than this understanding of how do we be 
the church through the whole thing, um, then I think we have a misperception of what church is. And, and, and listen, this probably has been way overquoted. Maybe, maybe it hasn't, I don't know. But in scripture, I think when, and I don't know if it was, I think it was Jesus where he says two or three are gathered. I'll be there in the midst of them. So to me, anytime people are getting together, there's a chance for the moment that Constant was speaking of. Um, I'm not dogging big gatherings. I love it when we get together and our church has started meeting again. And it's, it's been some really interesting times to, to try to navigate and figure out what that looks like. We're doing it a little different, whereas our service was longer before. Now we're making it shorter. You know, So there's a lot of different changes. We're not passing the plates. We're not having a greeting time. I mean, there's so there's a lot of things that have changed. But during when we weren't able to meet and we're doing the online thing and and in that, I told our people, I was like, the most important part for us, our church board, during this time is we've got to stay connected. That we can still be there for each other, even though we can't gather in the same place. We can still be the church. We can still talk to each other. We can still communicate. And we can still be that that connection to God and others. And so it was easier for us. Once again, I, I totally understand the the hard part, but and one of the the last board meetings we were together before we start, went to Zoom is we literally took all the people that we thought attended our church and we divided it up. And then we said, hey, this week it's your responsibility to connect with all these people and to call them and see how they're doing and what they need. And then the next week we switched it up. So that board member is now calling different people. And, and so we tried to make it smaller and and, and and I think that when you hear when I hear a John MacArthur say, No, we need to the right to have to be to have church, my mind immediately goes to, No, you're just fighting for a gathering. <laughs> you could have been the church, though the church never ceased being the church unless we decided, oh, we can't meet in the same place. We we're just gonna throw our hands up. And so I think it's really caused me to to really try to define what is that church. I think, and I wholeheartedly agree that church has to gather as some, like, I think it's so essential and so important, but I think that if we are banking and boiling everything down to what our church is to that, then we're missing the bigger picture. I think of what Jesus is potentially calling us to be in, in, in the world. Um, so it's not to say it's not important, but if we say we the church isn't meeting or the church can't be the church without that one piece, I think we're putting too much emphasis on one aspect of the church rather than understanding the church is way more than just that gathering piece. I don't know. What do you think? Well, so one of the things that I think is I think about discipleship. And yeah. One of, the, one of the things that's so frustrating to me about the, the, the utilitarianism of the church today is that we really have divorced evangelism and discipleship there is this idea in the church that if you tell people the right things that is like the that is the most important thing and the fact of the matter is jesus did not convince all of his disciples with his words that he was the son of god and he also wasn't a fundamentalist like there are four different gospels Right. Because people have were arguing about what really happened. Right. Like, Jesus was not a fundamentalist in the sense that he was like, you know what, guys? Here's what you're to write down, and this is exactly the way it was, and you need to make sure that you get the story right. You know, we have all of these, like, fundamentalist Christians who are, like, who spend all their time arguing about, like, theology and ideas that are, like, trying to, like, it's the, it's the creation people who want to say, like, 
you know, creation was exactly this way. And it, it's the, um, it's the theology people, the, the fundamentalists who are like, you know, this is exactly who God is. And if, if you say anything that says God's different than this, you're wrong. We spend all of this, we, we become this, like evangelism and apologetics have become like our, our emphasis, but discipleship is not about evangelism in a proclamation way or apologetics in a like uh, philosophical type of way. Discipleship is about somebody coming alongside of you and seeing you and living with you. And the fact of the matter is you can't do discipleship over Zoom. You just can't. Right. Like you can't, um, you can't watch me live my life over Zoom. One of the greatest disciplers that I've known in my life is, is my father. My dad has just always been this guy. He's always owned his own business. And he would just take people that were getting out of jail, uh, young kids that didn't have father figures, and he would just say, come work with me. You know, and I mean, he wasn't making very much. So they would even, not, you know, they'd be making, you know, not as much as he was. You know what I mean? Right. And sometimes he, I remember, I remember hearing conversations at the home about how these people were, you know, maybe even making more money than my dad probably because he was being generous to them. Sure. Um, But the way that I understand discipleship is, and the way that I was discipled was people throughout my life invited me to come walk with them and live with them. And I am who I am, not because I went to college and have some really smart degrees, but because I've watched people who are holy. They've invited me into their lives and into their homes. And the thing about the, the problem with not meeting in the church in North America is that we have taught people come to us, bring your kids to us, and yes. we will disciple you. That's what we've taught people. When the same people who have taught that start saying, hey, you can sit at home and it's okay and like you can get everything that you need. It's very confusing to people. Right. Existentially. Right. It's just confusing. The question is, well, if I can just sit at home, what was the point? Like, why were we all stressed about gathering together? If this is all just an information dump that I can pick up on the internet and I can just watch it anytime I want at my leisure, why was I ordin why was I programming my life around the hour gathering. In some ways, I agree with you. Like the church is not about an hour gathering, but I, I, I do believe that the church is about an orientation of your life. And the thing that is good about a Sunday morning gathering is that we say, you know, kind of with Joshua's for me and my kind of the, as for me in my house statement, what we're encouraging people to do in their house is say, you know what? All other hours of the week are not sacred. However, this sacred is this hour is sacred unto God. Shoot, we can't even get people to give God a day. You know, I mean, yeah, you know, we can't even get people to give God a day. And now all of a sudden, we're saying, you know what, guys? Like, honestly, the hours because of COVID, the hour is now subjective. Like, you don't need to come together, and we don't need to meet with Jesus as a community. We can do it all on our own time whenever we want to. And the thing is, Jesus gathered people together. Fundamentally, yeah. Jesus gathered people together. We follow someone who did not disciple in COVID. He didn't. Right. I mean, I mean, that's just that's just the fact of the matter. Like, I I hear all these kind of like wise guys making kind of like quips about you know, well, Jesus would do this. I got to tell you, Jesus didn't do ministry in North America in COVID nineteen. Right. And so what we follow. When we say that we're following him as our model, um, further, okay, 
the cornerstone of Christian theology is the incarnation. Right. Incarnation is embodied, enfleshed. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. It's in some ways incarnation is antithetical to COVID-19 culture. Sure. Like, and I don't hear theologians, like, I realize, like, there are going to be people listening to this podcast who are like, Jonathan, you are insane. I'm not, in, I'm not <laughs> insane. I'm actually critically thinking about how, like, we really have a problem. Like, we have a massive, we have massive theological problems that nobody's addressing. And I'm, if you feel like I'm angsty or upset, I am. <laughs> because I don't know what to do. Because I have people that are all over the spectrum that are, that give me advice. Right. That I consider wise. Right. This was another thing I talked to Constance about when we were when we were talking. I was telling her, you know, Constance, I got people on the left, you know, politically that are just saying, you know, like this is this is the worst, like uh, politically on the left and right. I got people socially who are on the left and right. I got people religiously who are like super devout and like not really caring. And she kind of said to me, she said, Jonathan, I think that also what's happening is you're kind of growing up at this particular time in history. And you're becoming a leader. And as a leader, I've just got to tell you, there's always been a battle of extremes. Yeah. There's always been left and right. There's always been, you know, people who think that you're, you know, totally right or totally wrong. And she's like, just a word to the wise for you before you completely lose your mind. The truth is probably somewhere in the middle. Right, 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 right. right. Well, let, me, let me ask a question. Did, do you think that we are seeing the lack of of depth that we have created maybe unintentionally in the church in the spiritual lives of the people that come to our church. And let me explain a little bit, talk a little bit more about what I mean by that. That I think, have we created a people that is so codependent on the church for that morning gathering, for that whatever, that when that's taken away, they don't and then in turn say, Hey, that's taken away, but I can still get together with a few of my brothers or sisters for growing and discipleship because they're waiting on the church to tell them, to spoon feed them, to, to whatever, to guide them. And I'm not saying we shouldn't, but we've created such a people that is so dependent on the church telling me and providing for me and, um, and, 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 in essence, and maybe this is going to be way too dramatic, but spoon feeding me my spiritual nourishment, whether it be through the gathering or we we provide the space, that they, when that's taken away, they don't have the maturity to say, "Hey, we can still get together in groups of ten. Let's let's figure this out on on some level." I mean, yeah, we've we've cultivated a a people that desire to be fed by us, and this is the command of Jesus. What does Jesus tell Peter? Feed my sheep. Sure. Why does Jesus tell Peter that? Because people need fed. Because people need fed. And yeah, yeah, no, I'm hearing a lot of people say this kind of thing. Like, oh man, we have Christians that are dependent. Well, yeah, people are stupid. People are evil. People are far from God. Like there is a need for the church to be feeding people, to be discipling people. Like the people are going mad in the streets. Why are they going mad in the streets? Because they've not been discipled. They've not been spooned. They've not been, they've not been fed spiritual milk. People in our culture are so angry. Because they've not been spoon-fed the milk of God's grace, the 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 cream of peace. I mean, they've not experienced it in a physiological, existential way. And so, um, you said earlier, you know, um, 
the role of the church is to be kind of like is to be changing the world. I think that I think that part of our problem, um, kind of to your point about how, what we've programmed people to come to get, um, I think that part of the problem is we have start over the last fifty years with the megachurch movement. We've based what we're giving people on what we think they want. And this is a very slippery slope because Jesus, I mean, Jesus said it, uh, and I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to offend like lay people or like people in general, but Jesus was actually rather insulting to people. He called them sheep all the time. Mm -hmm. He had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. Jesus essentially, in my opinion, if you look at the new Testament, he set up the church because he thought people were ignorant. He thought the world was ignorant. He thought the world actually needed help. <laughs> That's pretty, and it's pretty insulting. And then the disciples just proved that he was right. <laughs> yeah. Again and again and again. Hey, we don't understand what you're saying. We don't understand what you're saying. But what? But the thing is, what I think has happened in the church is I think that the church has become the rich, the rich, wealthy top of society wanting to kind of like shape laws and stuff. Um, when what the church ought to be doing, in my opinion is completely is stop the online stuff stop telling everybody what they're doing and what they need to start doing is they need to start going to the impoverished areas of their town and be like hey we know that you guys aren't able to we know that you're not able to get in childcare right now and that you guys um uh, let me just give you some stories let me give you some stories what's going on here in lima let's go okay so um the covid the covid 19 test um if you test positive you have to quarantine for 14 days right so there's a little daycare um, south side of Lima. Fee, uh, pays their employees very minimal, but just enough to survive. Enough that they're not on government assistance, so they're getting like $15 an hour or something. Um, I mean, just the bare minimum. Well, one of their employees tests positive for COVID-19. Unlike Mike DeWine, doesn't get a second test, which that could be another conversation. I think the tests are a justice issue, Jeremy. I think it's a complete justice issue. I don't, I don't think it's right that the governor of the state can test positive one day and then get an ex two expedited tests to say that um, he's negative. The NBA so, is getting tested every day. Say it again. The NBA, all the players get tested every day. Yeah, because I mean, because they have the money to do exactly it. Exactly right. So Southside of Lima, um, you get tested positive. You're out of work for 14 days, and you don't get paid. There's no pay wow. because it's on the employer to pay you. And um, what's all of the people that I have this conversation with are kind of upper middle class. And it's like, you guys, don't you realize that there's a world out there that doesn't operate in the salary, yeah. like overhead department, like that, like there are people that just barely fight to survive every day. So these people are without work for 14 days. Not only are they without work, like they don't know what to do with their children. Like, do I keep my kids with me? And then do I send them back to childcare? Like, what do I do? Like, honestly, that situation is happening times a million all across the United States, yep. in every town that's happening. Yep. In my opinion, the church should be not publicizing what they're doing with worship, but they should be through the network of people saying, here's what we're doing at the church. We're housing children and families, and we're feeding them and we're paying them because COVID is making situations unlivable for people who are poor. The government checks were fantastic um, for, the, for the quarantine, but the government is not now supporting people who, who are having to quarantine themselves like we're having all these kind of like arguments about you know what the church should and should be doing with meeting but yes i believe i don't and i don't i don't have all the answers to those questions but like 
there is still a lot of incarnational ministry that needs to happen to like actual real people in real time. And we're not focusing on it because we're fighting about, you know, masks or no masks, meeting or no meeting. And I'm, I'm a big, I'm a big proponent of orienting your life around the worship of a community. Absolutely. And I think it should be on a Sunday. Absolutely. I mean, and we can talk about, you know, opinion, like, but I, I don't have all the, I don't want to, I don't want to sound like so arrogant that I like have it all, all of the answers, but I am angsty. Do you feel it? <laughs> Jeffrey, save the conversation. Like, <laughs> save the conversation. I've been noticing in your tweets, you got your, your little, your little miffed about a few things. If that's I am. I, I really do think that there's a lot of injustice going on in the world right now. Um, that, that is going unaddressed. Could it be that, um, in the church, we focus more on what is my rights rather than on how do I help my neighbor? Jeremy, this, we're at a moment in the church in America. And and again, it just me, maybe that I wasn't privy to it when I was young, but like, when are we going to get over? Um, nationalism like when are just when are we gonna when are we gonna get over my entitled constitutional rights and the, the fact of the matter is maybe never in America maybe never and when are we gonna understand once again that when when Jesus says or when Paul says like old things have passed away behold everything is new that that in essence when I sur- when I come to Jesus like I'm surrendering like all my rights like Jesus says you got to take up a cross. Like there's no, it's not like you can say, well, gosh, darn it. I I don't, it's not my right. I have a right to not carry a cross today. There are zero entitlements in Christianity. There you go. That's a better way to say it. And I think that, that we've lost that sense of, well, it's my right to get together with my brothers and sisters. If I, even if I don't want to wear a mask, it's, it's my right to do this and this. And it's like, I know and and I, I I want all of those things. Like I said, we we worship, we get together, and 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 we we're doing those things because I think it's important for for people's lives and for their well being for for all of that. But it can't be to the detriment of of losing my voice in the community as well. I think it's got to be this this understanding of how do I how do I do it in such a way that people don't look and say, well, you don't care about what's going on in the world. You, you don't give you don't you don't care because you're not doing these things is that I don't know it if that's a great sense. question it does make sense and I want to bring up I want to bring up something um kind of an kind of an integrity issue because honestly I part of the part of the role a uh, uh, kind of of um oh, what am I trying to say that people want to maintain integrity in the church okay so I don't know that we're doing doing right by publicizing in the church everything that we're doing i don't know that it's the smartest first off let's i mean let's just talk about the persecuted church in china and other countries they don't publicize anything that they're doing why because they're being subversive to the government you know right i mean and none of us over here we don't think twice about it we think you go guys yeah you guys be subversive to the government that's you know go for it you guys are doing good those evil communists you know but then we think about our own context and we're like, oh, man, we would never want to be more subversive to the government. The, don't you know that Paul says the authorities that exist have been established by God? Here, here's, here's, what I'm, here's what I'm talking about. Um, so it doesn't make sense to people who are not in the body of Christ 
why the church is necessary. It doesn't make sense to them. It's another social club. Right. Do you know why it doesn't make sense to them? Because we've not proven to them otherwise. <laughs> That's why it doesn't make sense to them. Like, we kind of live like everybody else. Um, honestly, I would I would love to see the church do more. And, and the fact of the matter is, like, I say I would like to see the church, and the church has actually started doing this, do more kind of like undercover gatherings. Yeah. Um, I think that I'd like to see the church mobilize for service in ways that they're not broadcasting to everybody, here's what we're doing. And I think that this is this is why the conversations are also so um, negative and vicious on the internet is because we're all pot live casting our services and everybody can see everything that's going on. You know when people are going to stop talking about your church being controversial is when they can stop seeing everything that you're doing. Like, like, t- why are we, why are we putting it all on the internet? And some people would say, well, that's an integrity issue. You know, we should be completely transparent. And I would say, you know, who's not being transparent right now, the government, you know, who's not being transparent right now, your local authorities. I mean, it's just the fact of the matter. Like, it's just so weird to me that we're all kind of like arguing about what the church is doing when the church is the church is supposed to be in my understanding this kind of like undercover covert movement of god in the world that has absolutely nothing to do with following any dictates of any government even though like you said publicly we are people who in our communities need to be revered and there's a lot of scripture that that backs that up of being respected people. I mean, you, um, you read Proverbs, you read the epistles, like you understand like we need to be upstanding citizens. Um, but just like Daniel would never stop praying in his own house. Right. And there was a law that said you can't be praying. Like wh- one of the things that's frustrating me is, it is like it's like a political statement to say stop living listening to the government but the fact of the matter is the church has never taken its mandates from the government in throughout history at any time the people of god never have they're hardly ever the ones that are in power but we're having such a conversation about navigating the covid situation based on what authorities and principalities are telling us and it's just it's confusing to me at best I don't know that I've helped the conversation, Jeremy, as much as just bringing up kind of the theological idiosyncrasies that I'm seeing in the situations. I think at the heart for me, once again, is is how and, and we're having some just some fun conversations at our church right now about just even our space and and we have a, a we have two buildings and one building gets used more was getting used a lot during um before the coronavirus and then obviously we had to shut a lot of that down and but we have another building where we have our sanctuary it's an older building and you know one of our ac units went out so we have one but one went out and you know it's kind, kind of, of a hot summer to it's gonna be for like four grand right maybe yeah. it's hard for me to say yes let's do that when basically all that happens in that building is an hour long gathering every week because it's like this building sits empty the rest of the week so why would we invest all of this money so that we can feel comfortable when we get together on a sunday morning and i I, this comfort's awesome i love it 
but why so how can we use this space and this building more for the community and not just we still need a place to get together and sing some songs and you know i'll preach a little bit but why can't that space also be used throughout the week for daycare or for helping the community for all of those things that when we see deans in our community that we say well we have this building we have this this space how how can we structure it how can we what can we do in it that will allow community to be able to come in and use it more effectively and then we still use it on sunday right you know like we still we still are a part it's still a gathering space for us as well jeremy i mean as we talk right now across our campus uh allen county educators are all gathering at our building why because we're the only building open in town that like doesn't have like coronavirus um limitations sure i think you're exactly right i think that the church the church ought to be finding in this season ways to be creative to engage the community that doesn't mean that the community needs to dictate kind of how they how they manage themselves but the thing is like if we would actually be serving the community in a way that they recognize wow our church would our our town would not be blessed right. if it weren't for all of the work that these people are doing then they would look at us they would look at us differently you know, um, if we were following, if we were just concerned with COVID-19 regulations, we would just say, nope, sorry, guys, nobody else is ever coming on our campus. We don't want any infections to happen. Right. But everybody else in town is doing that right now. Sure. And we're saying, you know, we have these big spaces where you can be safely socially distanced. Right. And we want to serve you. So let's be creative together. It's not one or the other. It's both and. It's somewhere in the middle. It's not left or right. Like it's it's follow, it's being responsible. It's following regulations, but also being hospitable and not giving like not giving up on hospitality and charity, which are like the cornerstones of Christianity. So my hope is is that we, when we get beyond coronavirus, and I do think we're going to get beyond it. I don't you know I don't know when, but I think that I think that we'll get beyond it. My hope is that we don't just go back to life is normal. I don't know that we can, I don't know that, I don't know how you do that because you would be experienced this, but I think that for me and, and our church that I hope we've learned and I've hoped that it has caused us to reflect and to really say, what does it mean to be the church? How do we understand that there are people all around the world who don't have these luxuries and and it's funny because in those places, the church is actually growing and, and expanding. And so as we come through this, my hope is when we get on the other side, that we take the lessons we've learned. We take the 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 thinking through of what is what does it actually mean to be the church in a community and to be salt and light in the midst of this time. And that we don't just go back to, all right, well, let's just do it like we used to do it but that we say maybe have a different mission, a different idea, a different understanding of you know, this, this idea of living life together and checking on each other and calling each other and being there for each other. And like, that's actually what it means to be a part of the body of God. And we also meet on Sundays to remind ourselves that that's who we are to be. And, and if we, if we just go through this and then when we get on the other side, say, well, let's just go back to doing church like we used to do it. I just feel like we are, we will have be, well, we'll take a huge step back rather than saying, no, we actually, we actually 
checked up on each other. We actually communicated with each other, not just on Sunday to see how your week was, but throughout the week. How do we keep that discipleship? How do we keep that understanding of hospitality throughout the week and not just one day a week? How do we open ourselves up to the needs of the community and, and what's going on on a continual basis? How do we view our space differently and, 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 and our lives differently in such a way that, that, oh, wow, we, we used to think this is what it was, but we've learned through this that we can still, still be church even if we can't get together in one space. And, and, and how do we capitalize and not forget, I guess, but strain towards maybe the goal of, of really trying to be a different force, a different voice in our community. And, um, yeah. My sense is this is like going to be part one of many conversations, five or, five or six angsty pastoral conversations <laughs> of the, pa- of the, and I think what's interesting, life. you know, with all the stuff and listen, we got an election coming up, right. And the DNC Dear convention last goodness. week and the RNCs oh. this week. And, oh. and, and honestly, and, thanks for not talking about politics today. Like, I'm absolutely. just like, but I think it's interesting watching a little bit of the convention. I didn't watch all of it last week, and I watched a little bit last night. I just think it's interesting. Is the RNC going on right now? Are, yeah, it's okay. this week. And I don't know. It's just fascinating because I think the conversations and the dynamics are just different. And, and, and so I think it's going to be fascinating to talk through corona, election, race, like all of those things. It's just a... Yeah, I'm sure this is going to be a five to to ten part series. So stay tuned. To be continued. The Evangelicals podcast is recorded at Lima Community Church of the Nazarene in Lima, Ohio. 